Hello, I'm Fern Cotton and this is Happy Place, the show that tries to make sense of where our heads are at right now so we can all spend a bit more time in our happy places. Today's chat is with an absolutely epic musician. It's Rag and Bone Man. No matter how honest I am about my emotions, there is still like that thing in the back of my mind that says, oh, don't cry, stuff like that. Because it's, you know, it's embedded in us from such a young age, or, or our generation of it anyway. Because, you know, part of what I wrote in this album was like the responsibility I felt to like change that cycle of things and, and let my son know it's okay to be emotional as, as a man and it's okay to say how you're feeling if you're not feeling good. Parenthood inevitably changes all of us in so many ways and for Rag and Bone Man, real name Rory, it's made him think hard about the kind of messages he wants to be passing down to his son, both at home and also through his music. And his second studio album, Life by Misadventure, has clearly struck a chord because it recently went straight to number one in the UK. I discovered during this chat that Rory and I actually have a couple of things in common, including our love of tattoos and being a bit rubbish at sleeping. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Right, here's the show. Hi, Rory. Hello. Are you good today? I'm very well, thank you. Good. I'm so happy to see you. And I'll start by saying thank you for making such a beautiful album because I think at this point we really need some good music in our lives, don't we? We need something to inspire us. Oh, bless you. Thank you so much. Yeah, I tried to put a lot of hope into this one. You have, you have. And I, I don't know about you, but like this last 12 months, I've really leaned on music to yeah. at times like elevate me or just kind of calm me down. What what have you yeah. been listening to that's been making you feel good? I've tried, do you know what? I found myself in situations where I feel very manic over the last year or so. I guess due to like trying to navigate this kind of new record and everything coming together and also like trying to be a dad at the same time and look after a three-year-old and and and, and mm-hmm. things get a bit much now and again so I found myself trying to find like a calm place in music and going back to like Radiohead records and stuff like that mm, nice. and just stuff where I can like <laughs> it, it you know come upstairs sometimes and turn the lights off and put some music on and I just lay down for a bit and let's let's put on something calming yeah I've been the same I've been um listening to a lot of Fleet Foxes because that's been have you that's been very zen for me, actually, Fleet Fox. It's when the kids Yeah, they had bed. a new record out, actually, I think quite recently. Yeah, called Sure. I mean, I've literally yeah. played that album back to back, nonstop for the last couple of months. Yeah. It's so yeah. gorgeous. And I think, I think most people are sort of, you know, what we're living through is having the same effect, that we need to actually be calmed down. And, and actually, as things maybe start to get a little bit more, whatever you want to call it, normal or whatever, 
I've been starting to introduce a little bit more um, oomph into my listening collection. Like, <laughs> Royal Blood have been sneaking in there a bit as well, which has yeah, been really nice. Yeah. Um, so you made this this new album, what was it, just at the start of the pandemic? It was as it all sort of kicked off? It was all written before that, which I'm really glad of because I, I don't know how, it, you know, it might have been a bit more of a depressing record otherwise. <laughs> um, but yeah, we um, we went out to, to a place in Tennessee called Gallatin, which is like some kind of out in the middle of nowhere kind of Hicksville place. But this amazing studio to record this record and literally as we got there, they announced the pandemic and we we I booked out three weeks to record this record and I was like that's enough time to record a record we'll be fine and then they were like oh you've got to spend two weeks in quarantine so you actually have like six days to record the record which is quite a lot of pressure you know like it's a lot of pressure yeah. I mean did you did that make you focus more because sometimes if I've got a deadline if I'm writing or whatever that that motivates me. That helps. Yeah. I, well, I think we just we, we all just spoke. I mean, I, I took my um, my bass player and my um, keys player from my band um, over with me, and um, we set up with uh, a drummer from over there and um, a guitarist from LA, and we were like, the only way this is going to happen is if we just set it up like a, like it was kind of a live gig in the studio, and just play the record from start to finish, and that's how we did it. And um, yeah. by by like day six, the evening of day six, just before our flight, we finished the last song. God, that must have felt so good. And that's such a wonderful old school approach because, of course, loads of bands back in the day, that was kind of their only option was to just yeah. play yeah. live. And, and often those old records have that feel about them. And, and that makes a lot of sense now, having listened to um, a lot of your album, is it has that feel about it that, you know, you're, there's some energy and electricity in there because you've got to kind of get it done in that moment yeah i mean it made me think about stuff differently like like the booth when you're in like a a vocal booth and it's just you and a producer sometimes it's a really lonely place and like you know i i tend to like record my vocals in the dark and stuff and it's quite it's kind of like it's it's almost not that fun sometimes you know and like just doing it with a group of people that you can vibe off and you can actually look at in the room and you're playing together at the same time it made me think, why have I not done this before? And will I ever record an album differently? Because it, because, because it was so much fun. Like, yeah. And we did like add a few bits afterwards, but most of what you hear on this record is just like one tape. And we need more fun. Yeah. Like life gets so serious, isn't it? And we all take it really seriously. Yeah. Like, everything's got to be so serious. And <laughs> I'm going to take this moment really seriously, guys. Yeah. And it's like, are we not missing the point of it? Like, yeah. isn't a lot of it meant to be fun? Yeah. Like, I, I feel like that as I've, you know, gotten older. You, like when you're a kid, everything's fun, isn't it? You'll know that from being a dad. It's just like your your main um, objective when you get out of bed is where's fun? I'm going to, you know, my son is just looking for fun relentlessly <laughs> to the point where I'm like tearing my hair out, like begging him to put his shoes on, but he is seeking out fun and we sort of forget about it. I think that's, you know what? It's one of the things when I first kind of came into the music industry... I imagined what it was going to be like to like go around and play these festivals and meet other bands and just like, I thought this is going to be so great. I'm going to get to meet all these people and we're going to have like, everyone's going to get drunk afterwards and it's going to be like, it's going to be great. And then the reality is that most people are quite boring yeah, and (laughs) nobody really wanted to talk and, and have a drink after the show. You know, a lot of artists are just like kept in their own sort of little bubble and, um, I'd like kind of want to encourage people to be a bit more fun 
like that. Yeah, and we need to, you know, especially after this last 12 months, all hang out and see each other and stop shutting ourselves off and closing ourselves away. And again, you know, maybe that is a more old school approach, much like recording an album live. Back in the day, there's no way people would have shut themselves away in porter cabins or dressing rooms. They would have all been like in the thick of it, having a great time. Or that's what I would imagine it to have been like at Woodstock back in the day or whatever. You need to do that, Rory. That's got to be a mission for you. So you came back from the States and then, you know, the world pretty much sort of stopped by that point, early 2020. So... You know, how, what have you been up to the last 12 months? How have you found that? You know, we all know a lot of people in the music industry who have literally been going out of their minds because there's not been that usual constant stimulation. So how have you found that? There was kind of initial a bit of sadness of like, I've got to cancel 30 shows over the summer. No one's going to play live, you know. And that was that was like a bit depressing at first, but... Then I realised I pretty much hadn't had a summer off for like eight years. You know, I've been I've always been on the festival circuit, even from like early days before I was signed and stuff. I was always doing lots and lots of festivals, and and um, it was kind of just like a little silver lining to, to it to it all, just to be able to spend a summer with the boy. And he's at the age where he's not quite at school yet. He's still got another where well, he he won't be at school for another year now. And he's at that really fun age. I mean, frustrating age, but mm. mostly fun. And um, where like we just get to hang out all the time. So yeah, it was it that that summer. I know it was you know really depressing for a lot of people. And um, but actually, I had like a really good time. So I kind of feel guilty about. Well, it. Well, you mustn't because I think you know it has obviously been a really rough time for a lot of people. But I think there are also people like you. And I felt like this at times. Like oh, I shouldn't be enjoying the stillness or or the peace. But you know maybe we can take something from that into whatever happens next because you know you've got gigs planned there's stuff happening we know notoriously that very successful artists like yourself the schedules are relentless there is no break you know I I would watch kind of in awe and shock sometimes when I was at Radio 1 the the speed at which artists would be whisked away from doing a really big thing like the live lounge to then fly to another country and do a show or come back and you know it's absolutely relentless how are you feeling about stepping back into that territory well I think that was part of the reason why I kind of was like I'm going to enjoy this time because I know what's coming yeah and um I also kind of forgot how much work it involves I'm not someone to like shy away from doing lots of kind of radio stuff and all kinds of different promo and all over the world. But obviously this time it's all been from here. So it's been a very different experience. And like you said, it is, it it can be crazy that schedule and, and being kind of whisked to different countries in Europe and doing things like, I don't know, early radio shows and then late night things and then going to the US and stuff like that. I really enjoy that period of time and the kind of the busyness and the craziness of it. So at first I was like, this is really weird. I'm just getting up in the morning and doing relentless interviews with people over Zoom. (laughs) And, you know, some are good, but then a lot of ones recently are like Italian ones in kind of very broken English or or, or in countries that don't really get humour very well. So they're very like... (laughs) 
<laughs> they're very straight. Silence it's very, after it's really a hard. joke is, is, is excruciating. Yeah, and you're like, oh. I'm trying to give the best answers I can, but you're not giving me anything to give you. So, um, <laughs> and then, you know, I've got like Ruben peering through the door, like, Daddy, I want, can I have hula hoops? Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, man. And I find myself just giving him the, this ginormous amount of snacks just to be quiet for like 25 minutes. Oh, I hear you with that one. I mean, I'm I'm fortunate in the fact that today my kids are at school, but yeah. in the car on the way in, I said to my eight-year-old, oh, I'm interviewing Rag and Bone Man today. He went, oh, what? I want to be there. I wanted to say hi to him. And he was so frustrated because, you know, of course, for the first few months of the year, he was there. He could pop yeah. in and say hi yeah. to whoever I was chatting yeah. to or we would come running in the room whether I liked it or not. And he was particularly gutted about today. But, um <laughs> He'll have to listen back to it later on. So let's talk about fatherhood, because I know on the record, you know, you've got songs that, that sort of illustrate that new phase of your life and how you feel about being a dad. How has it changed your perception of life and I guess also how you work and how you write? It's, do you know what? Like, it's made me really honest in my songs and I'm so, I'm really grateful for that because... My dad was the kind of dad who was like, he he was loving, but didn't say it. And um, he's actually got a lot better these days. Since I've had Ruben, he's 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 kind of um, mellowed a lot and and does say I love you, which is a really nice thing to hear. But that made a kind of it's kind of made me more. I'm I'm over the top as a dad. Like I tell him, I tell my son I love him so much, and um, especially being away from home in that period of time of writing just made me think about him a lot and just made me want to write songs about him and and the way I feel as a dad and the kind of love I feel and and um and just to be like I I, I can be honest about my feelings now and I don't feel kind of scared to do that in songs yeah because I imagine that's there's that scary element of you know you've got the solitude when you're writing and you're privately putting down your thoughts and working them out but then of course there's always going to be a point where you've got to stand on a stage yeah. and sing yeah. really loudly yeah. to people and that is a whole different experience so do you think previously you had held back with stuff that you wanted to say yeah because I, I think that's a good point because I think I was like quite scared of saying those things on stage and I don't think sometimes you don't realize how that's going to make you feel and then you do it and it's, you know, nobody wants to see a man crying on stage while he's singing a ballad. And and I've kind of been in that situation where I've, I've felt that much emotion while I've been singing a song where I'm like, wow. oh, God, stop it. What's wrong with you? Um, and uh, that's kind of a, a, a strange thing to feel while you're singing on stage. That's a beautiful thing, though. I think... Um, kind of. <laughs> it is, but it's also a really helpful thing. And I hate sort of generalizing but I think we do still need um more dialogue around men feeling like it's all right to do that to have a big cry or to say what you're thinking and um I think it's a really it's a really beautiful thing it's amazing that fatherhood sort of opened you up to that as well yeah I mean like no matter how honest I am about my emotions there is still like that thing in the back of my mind that says oh don't cry stuff like that because it's it's kind of you know, it's embedded in us from such a young age or, or our generation of it anyway. Because, yeah. you know, part of what I wrote in this album was like the responsibility I felt to like change that cycle of things and, and let my son know it's okay to be emotional as, as a man and it's okay to say how you're feeling if you're not feeling good, you know? Yeah, it's important. But I guess also, you know, outside of sort of gender-related issues, it, 
it's not particularly comfortable, I guess, standing in front of anyone crying. You know, I've had it in interviews where <laughs> yeah. I felt deeply moved and I thought, is this inappropriate for me to well up right now or to, to feel that emotion? You know, how will other people react to it? And it's a, it's a strange thing. And it's, it's, it's a sort of vulnerable place to be whenever we're working with emotions and exposing them to other people. And I wonder when you're doing that, when you're, you know, whether it is the writing process or the sort of end of the cycle when you're stood on stage singing things aloud, does that process help you actually work through stuff in your real life? You know, do you do you revisit things in your life that you found difficult and found that that songwriting process has healed you or helped you in some way? Yeah. I mean, yeah, a million percent. I'm I'm there's a song that I wrote on this album called Talking to Myself and um, I didn't want to put it on the record because it was like, it was kind of brutally honest about like a, a kind of small blip and in, in a period of my life where I just didn't feel good and was having issues with my relationship and um, it was kind of too honest and, and I couldn't listen to it back and it just, it, you know, it was, it was kind of felt really brutal and um, I got convinced by... Not not just someone on my label, but my kind of collaborator, songwriter, and that, that I should still leave this this song on the on the album. Um, and uh, I'm kind of really glad I did because I sort of comes to terms with it now, and I listen back to it now. And there's there's like there's a certain element of it that I go, "Wow, you're really pathetic." <laughs> In the, but like no, but it but it's made me see a different side of it, and it's made me feel like better about that situation and I don't feel that way about it anymore it's just like a memory so it's often when we face those things isn't it that it it helps it dissipate and and also I think there's a real power of writing stuff down you know whether it's a song or not just it's like you know a a diary entry or just you scribbling some thoughts down a bit of paper that you know you can see it for what it is it becomes maybe slightly more real but also less scary at the same time I've definitely found that with book writing although there is still that element of oh my God, now people are going to hear it or read it or whatever. And that adds another dimension of fear, but you know, but it's still good. And also, you know, your song lyrics then resonate so deeply with someone else. Like as painful as that might be for you to put that out there, knowing that a stranger, someone you've, you know, you've never met, might not ever meet, has sat there, listened to that song, gone, oh my God, that is exactly how I was feeling. I mean, that's a real gift. And, and that's what your music has been doing now for you know, since you were signed, you had that instant impact with people that your songs resonated and they were emotive and, and got people thinking. I mean, do you find it as easy to express yourself outside of song? Because you've naturally got a talent with song, we know that. But how about outside of song? Can you talk to people that easily or express how you're feeling as easily? I don't think so. <laughs> no, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I think most of my friends would say no. That's, that it, I'm, I'm not very good at that. I, that's something I need to work on. Um, I think I'm like I'm quite a quiet and um, reserved and private person when it comes to talking about sort of real stuff. But yeah, that that's, that's something that I'm still working on. You know, well, you can quite handily save it up for songs, which is yeah. no bad thing. Yeah, yeah, for sure, no bad thing at all. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. 
Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. You know, looking at your career as a whole, you, you, you know, in terms of artists today, you kind of got started, you know, on this huge global scale you're on now late. You know, you were 31 when Human came out. Do you think that's benefited you in ways because you had this whole other life and life experience beforehand that perhaps gave you... I don't know, sort of stronger foundations or maybe a clarity that, that some younger artists might not have had the benefit of? I think I was just so irresponsible as, like, a teenager and probably well into my 20s that I'm very glad that it didn't happen then <laughs> because things could have gone very differently and they probably would have gone very differently. So I am really glad because, you know, I, I was... Um, kind of working as a musician from about the age of like 25 onwards but um I didn't really start taking it seriously until a bit later because it always I think I was always told you know when I was younger that music was a hobby and it never it never really came from whether it was like teachers or you know my parents it was it was I was kind of never told that like oh you know this could be a career it's not just like let's go down the pub and have a jam session or you know, let's go to the hip hop open mic or whatever, and and, and that and that'll be it. Like, it, you know, it took me a while to realise that I had something that potentially people wanted to listen to, you know, and like stand on stage and sing, and 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 people actually really like it and connect with people. So, long answer, yeah, I'm really glad. I'm really glad I was a bit older. So, but you know, like like a lot of people who end up in any area of let's call it the arts um, yeah. you know, you're not necessarily encouraged at school to go for that I mean I, I wanted to be an actress I went slightly off piece but you know there was certainly <laughs> you know zero encouragement there it was come on that's like a crazy fantasy think of a, a, not even a backup plan think of another plan so I think you know you you do have to have a certain element of self-belief obviously you can't just have self-belief you've got you know all the other attributes that that you hold being skilled at something, you know, being determined, disciplined, but you do have to have self-belief in that equation somewhere to even bother trying. So where do you think that came from? Um, I think I saw what impact it had when I sung. For, for a while, it was... Um, I, I, I started off with this kind of hip-hop crew at Brighton, and we used to do gigs kind of supporting all of the US artists that came over. And most of that time, I was rapping. I wasn't really, I wasn't really singing for for a long time. And then I kind of remember the feeling when I first started to, I guess, like write write like hooks for those guys. And then I would I would do like the middle section, and the kind of the change in people in the audience from when I would do when I would rap to when I would sing was like it was so different. And um, I think we were playing. Um, it was like a slum village gig. And uh, there was an A&R there from Ireland Records. And this was well, it was like 2011, maybe. That was the first time someone had come up to me and, and been interested in me from, like, the industry. And, I, and from that moment, I was like, I'm going to grab this by, you know, grab the ball by both horns and, and like, try and fuck shit up, <laughs> basically. <laughs> Which you have done yeah. superbly, yeah, didn't may too I add. <laughs> Within that other period of your life you know alongside music you also had another job that you seemed from what I've read about you equally as passionate about working with people with learning difficulties and autism was that hard to let go of as the music really took off because you seemed to really have a natural skill for that as well 
I was kind of doing both for, for, for quite a long time. I only gave that job up. I think I got I, I got a publishing deal that basically that that meant that I could go fully into music. You know, that meant that I could give up my day job and spend all the time making music. And I guess that was around 2013 or something. But before that, I was just doing both at the same time. It was kind of difficult, but I kind of didn't want to let go of either. You know, there was a, there was a point where it was it was kind of like this is one or the other. You either have to give up one because you can't afford to do both. Mm. And um, yeah, I do. I'd still kind of miss it. But um, it, it, the reason I got into that job in the first place is because it was something really natural to me. And like I'd grown up with a sister with Down syndrome, and you know, been around a lot of people like that, you know, whether it was when she used to go to like day centers and stuff like that. And I would, I'd go along and meet a lot of, be around a lot of people with different types of disabilities. You know, it was one of those jobs where like, I think if you can do it, then you should, cause it's amazing. Do you know what I mean? It will give you yeah. something, it will give, it will give you something more in life to do that job. Cause it, it was like, it's, it's fully amazing. It's, you know, if, if music hadn't have worked out, I think I'd probably be still quite happy. Yeah, it's a beautiful thing. And I think also it just adds to, you know, the benefit of you having had that life experience first that I'm imagining there's a certain level of clarity now where you just don't buy into the bullshit that can, of course, come along with what this industry has to offer because there's that weird element of fame. You know, how did you transition into that sort of area of life and, and and how did that feel do you know it was it was so weird at first being in rooms full of people and and I guess you've probably seen it a lot where someone's kind of like I, I guess the new the new thing or the new hot thing in the industry or whatever um and being like almost like being paraded around like a show pony at some points it's like yeah. this is such and such meet this person and this person you're like did I really get into music for this mm. like I don't, I don't know I don't know who these people are I'm like can I just go home now <laughs> that's like, the attitude to have I like it yeah and and, and you know <laughs> I've just got better and better over the years of being like oh, I'm going home see yeah. ya see ya bye yeah <laughs> and between yeah. like making music and then being on stage and a few things that are necessary in between anything else I'm like I'm out man like I've just got I've got really good at saying no that's mm. not well, also yeah. you're a dad you've got you know you've got to yeah. divide your time yeah, yeah. up differently these days yeah I've, I've I've kind of had to do that recently we recently I'm, we were meant to do this last week I think but I I had a had a night where Ruben was up at like two and three and five. Oh man! And then, I, and then I was up and then I was up talking to like German radio presenters at like seven. And Horrible. by the time by the time I just wrote my manager, and I was like, I'm really sorry, but I have to go to sleep because no, I, I, I took I my you. took my boy to nursery, and I was like, I'm out. <laughs> yeah, you know? no, it's a lot to juggle though. It's and the sleepless night thing, you know, well, I slept in a bunk bed last night. I still managed to sleep, but there's no guarantee. And it's so much to juggle that I think you do get to a point where you think it makes it easier to make decisions because you can go no to this, definitely yes to that. And it just helps you see really straight, you know, what you want to do and what you can just let go. And, and that's a really handy thing. And of course, you know, the, the strangeness of all of a sudden 
everybody knowing who you are and there being that excitement around you, of course, doesn't just affect you and, and how you go about your business, but of course, the people that have been in your life the whole time, you know, how did you find that and the circles of friends that you were already in? Um, did that change anything? There were certain points where I kind of lost a bit of trust in people because I, got, I guess they weren't necessarily friends, but things there were certain things that came out at points in, in like newspapers where I went, that has to be that someone that I know really well because there's no way that they could get that information about me. It doesn't make any sense. And so yeah, whether that did or it didn't happen, it made me paranoid about stuff. So I've always had quite a small group of friends and, and where I live, like I, I moved back from London. I live back in Sussex now, pretty much where I grew up. So all of my friends now are friends that I went to school with. That That makes it easier that I live in a place where I can just sort of hide away quite a lot. I mean, my, my house is pretty much in the middle of the woods. Heaven. <laughs> and, and, you know, I, I did that for a, for a reason. It's because I, I, I like to be private. Mm. I, I like want to protect Ruben's innocence for as long as possible. He gets weirded out when people come up to me in the street or ask for pictures. He finds it really strange. Do your kids find it strange when people recognise you? Yeah, I think, you know, my, now my son's eight, he's sort of, a little bit more used to it but much like you I live in an area where I keep myself to myself I know most of my neighbours pretty well so no one really cares to be honest it's only if I ever go to you know like if you went to a theme park or somewhere a bit out of my comfort zone then I start to feel a little bit paranoid but if anything they just think it's hilarious and my stepkids who are older just find it obviously completely mortifying and mostly embarrassing um, so I've learned to take the knock so it's instantly humbling isn't it being a parent I mean it's an instant grounder I mean again how have you found that because I'm sure there have been moments where you've had a harsh transition from being on stage thousands of people screaming your name you know, singing your lyrics back and then all of a sudden you know your kid wants hula hoops how do you find that coming off stage moment and then you're you're back into reality I really enjoy it I, mm. I, I like how um how levelling kids are sometimes. Mm. They're totally disarming. Oh, yeah. Because I really struggle with the... I remember when I first started touring loads and I came back and my missus used to say that I was like a ghost in the house because I just sort of wander around not knowing what to do (laughs) because you spend four months away when um, it's like sound checks at four dinners at this time such and such and your your days are mapped out for you and then the, all you have to worry about is getting off stage and going to a bit of bed on the tour bus and then you're suddenly at home and you have to do stuff that's normal but you, I'm like I feel like a really useless man <laughs> and, and, and and like I definitely was so I do really like coming home now I do I get this thing where I come off stage and I feel I feel quite tense for quite a long time and then to be able to just come home and be disarmed by my child like that is is fine with me. Perfect. And have you have you worked out what helps you make that transition? Like if you have that, is that tension because you've just had a huge adrenaline rush? You know, how do you start to kind of get yourself back in your body and, and feel okay? I think it's because I, I, I I'm not like a nervous person, but the five five or ten minutes before I go on stage is my the most anxious I ever feel because I'm like I just want it to happen now I don't want to have to wait and then when I get off I'm like I want to go back on (laughs) 
I don't, I, I'm, I'm not finished. Can, can we do that again, please? Isn't it mad how um, we torture ourselves a bit before? Like, I just want it to go okay. I just want to start now. I just want it yeah, to be over so I can yeah. feel relief. And then when you've done it, you're like, oh, man, I really want to just yeah. keep doing that. I know. I, I found that recently because we've done a lot of stuff where it's just like, oh, we haven't played for ages and we'll go on, like, I don't know, Ant and Deck and do one song or been on, been, <laughs> been on Jonathan Ross and done, like, one song. And that it's really weird because I'm like... <laughs> Do you mind if we just play a set? Because it's it yeah, just yeah, feels just so started. it feels so strange to just go and play one song. Yeah, I I can imagine that is quite jarring. But again, you know, luckily you've got Ruben to bring you back down to earth immediately, so you're back in house mode. I mean, I think I probably told this story at some point before. I don't know if I, on a podcast, but. I had a wonderful moment of this where I I was interviewing Coldplay for this documentary and it was a beautiful experience. I was in their studio wandering around and they're sort of showing me how they started off like the bare bones of some of their songs and I was just, you know, flying high and it was a short journey home, but the whole way home I was just sort of like this on cloud nine. This is some years ago now. And um, within, it was possibly under three minutes of being home, my my son, who was a tiny boy at the time, just curled out a massive crap on the floor. And I was like, Perfect. there we are. I'm back to it. Perfect. But by Coldplay, this is this is the reality. Yeah, amazing. Grounding. I like it. <laughs> it's really important. Now, look, we have certain things in common. Again, you know, some of these things might be stuff that I've read and they might not be true. And you can correct me if I'm wrong. But one of them is that we don't sleep particularly well. Is that still true today? Yeah, it's, it's, I think I've always had issues with sleep. I guess it's just me as a person and I don't I've found ways it used to be weed but now I can't smoke weed anymore it got worse right and then um and then you know you I, I don't know about you but I've 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 gone through periods of time where I like I need to take sleeping tablets but then that didn't work for me either so now I just sort of have to wear myself out a bit is it because your brain won't switch off and you're just thinking yeah. of loads of stuff yeah, yeah. And, and you know what there's um for for the whole period of time that I wasn't really making music and I had the time off, I slept perfectly. Really? Yeah. It's it's only when I'm working and there's and there's things going on that I can't stop thinking. Yeah, I, I think I'm sort of the same. I I probably have slept better over the last twelve months. Although I've been very very fortunate, I've been able to keep working throughout. At least I haven't had that constant moving about that that sometimes I think just hypes you up even more. I, I, again, have you found anything sort of cognitively that helps? Like I. I will sometimes, when I'm lying in bed, um, redecorate certain rooms in my head to like <laughs> just try and switch me off. Like you know, silly little. My yeah. cousin told me to do that yeah. actually, and it, and it really helps. Or or sometimes I just run through a list of you know just things that I'm really grateful for before I go to bed, and and then usually I'll fall asleep during that at some point. But do you have any sort of tools that you use in that way? Well, at, at one point I was um, my my son used to have this little. I'm sure you know what it is. It's like a little light thing, but it also has like white noise. Oh yeah, well we play one every night in it my son's room. Oh. Yeah, and that used to work for me really well. Yeah, and if I leave my door open, I can still sometimes hear Rubens, and then that kind of helps me get off. I don't know. It's good. Why, but it's it really. Does. I think it just sort of stops that inner chatter slightly, doesn't it? It must do. Yeah. It definitely works for my son because yeah. he. He wasn't sleeping great last year and we put one of those in his room and it's definitely it's definitely doing something. There's like, at the moment, I feel like there's so much information. You know, I, I guess, I, you know, there's so, people at my record label send me things all the time and it's, it's like, um, 
and it kind of adds to my anxiety about stuff and it's all, yeah. sometimes stuff that I don't even need to know mm-hmm. and, it, and it'll be like oh so uh, it's it's a number such and such in this country um if it gets to this many then it breaks this record or such and such ah. and, like, I, and I've had to say like I don't want to know any of this stuff can you stop telling me yeah ignorance is bliss because, all the time because like you can just say it's doing all right. Yeah, it's doing and that'll great. be Keep enough. Keep on going. Keep on going. It's great. That'll be enough because then I don't know why I even care about these numbers. I don't like, it, but they're in my brain at half past ten at night when I've got to be up at five. Oh, so, it's the absolute you know. pits. It's so awful. Yeah. <laughs> um, the other thing that we have in common, which is maybe less obvious for me because I don't have any on my face, is tattoos. I've got a lot of tattoos, and I often like to sort of look back and think of where I got that one how I was feeling in that moment and some of them relate to some beautiful memories some they've marked some important times in my life they're reminders of things that I want to be drawn back to in a sort of encouraging way but then I also know I've got a couple that were probably earlier on in my like late teens where or my early 20s where I was trying to I wanted to feel like somebody else. I wanted to be somebody else. I wanted to feel like I was a bit wilder than I naturally am or more interesting <laughs> or something. I was trying to lose yeah. myself and yeah. and be a different person. And I wonder for you if there is meaning behind them and, and what that might be. That was my first tattoo. My first tattoo that I ever got was I was quite awkward at school. And I, I remember just getting to the point where I'd kind of made like a proper friendship group. I was maybe like 14 or 15 and um, I'd moved schools and then I I moved back to the school where I knew loads of people at and I'd had like a a proper group of friends and then they were kind of a cooler group of friends as well. So I felt less awkward. It's about the time you start liking girls and, you know, wanting to be kind of recognised by girls. And that was my motivation to get my first tattoo was... Maybe maybe girls would become a bit cooler if I get a tattoo. And I went and I went and got one when I was sixteen. I was still at school. Yes. What was your first one? It was a it was an Indian on my arm that it looks like Gene Simmons from Kiss. Amazing. Even it's better. All, it's all, all all kind of like a cross between that and Brandon Lee from The Crow. Oh, even better. But it's I... not. It's a, it's a terrible <laughs> tattoo. It was like twenty pounds. And from a from a place where they didn't check your age, you know. Yeah, come on in, and, mate. Um, let's let's go yeah, for it. Exactly. Let's draw Gene Simmons on and get on with it. But I don't regret it because I look at it now and it makes me laugh. I have the same. You know, some of mine are utterly horrific. Um, but I I look back and you know you you do either smile or laugh or there's just that poignancy of there being a, a story or geographically where you were in the world or how you were sort of mentally moving through stuff it it is a a nice marker I sometimes wonder now because I probably haven't had one I think my last one I got on my 37th birthday or something I'm going to be 40 this year and I'm wondering have I stopped getting them is there a point where you go I'm done now I don't know I haven't had one for a while but I'm always thinking about it yeah still and what's the motivation with them now is it just because I, I sometimes wonder what mine is. I think it is still that, you know, I've always been someone that needs to to sort of mark moments, have that ceremony around moments, whether I'm writing about them or I'm sort of cementing them into my life. What What is your own motivation now? I think, well, of recent, I've I started to kind of reminisce about stuff I liked when I was a kid. So I, I've got, like, cartoon characters, and I really like cartoon characters. My friend Tom, um, who has um, a tattoo shop in Brighton, 
he's like really good at characters. So he he's taken like characters that I loved from cartoons as a kid and turned them into something else. So I've got um I don't know if you remember there was a cartoon called Rude Dog and the Dweebs. Oh um, yeah, I remember Rude Dog and the Dweebs. And it was one oh of my, my favorites. So I've got I've got a big one on my chest that's Rude Dog and the Dweebs and another one that's Cyril Snare for the raccoons. I loved the raccoons. The Raccoons was the greatest cartoon because it signified the start of the best Saturday ever where you got to watch TV from 8 yeah. to 12 because Live yeah. and Kicking was on. And like back in the 90s, our parents didn't come in and go, can you stop watching TV now? We just watched the whole thing. Yeah. And like the best theme songs of, of any cartoons. Oh my God, the theme tune for the, the Raccoons. Yeah. And it started with that deep in the depths of Evergreen or whatever it was, that voiceover that was really like punchy. Oh my God, it was so good. Maybe I have to get Cyril Sneer or one of the raccoons for my next So I do have like a plan to get a couple more. He was going to do Biker Mice from Mars for me. Oh, nice. But like make it into like the mods from like Quadrophenia. Yeah, I love that. So yeah, I've got I've got some plans, but it's just finding time, really. Yeah, I like that the motivation is now that sort of element of fun because you know, much like you, I definitely got my first probably I don't know four or five tattoos because I wanted to seem more uh, appealing to other people for whatever reason, and I, I went through yeah. that phase of wanting to to be more interesting and lose myself, and I guess there's that full sort of cycle notion where now I'm just back to going, oh, I'm. I'm quite happy just being me. You know, I don't really care if people yeah, yeah. think I'm interesting yeah. or not or whatever's going on in their minds. And you and you sort of get back to almost feeling like you were as a kid where you're like, yeah, I don't really I don't really mind what that projection of myself is to other people. So you really then when you're having a tattoo, you're doing it for you. Yeah, of course. It's a really lovely thing. Where are you going to get your next one? I've got a plan for one, like a huge one on my back, but I'm just, I'm, I'm kind of scared because I've never had like a, a massive, massive one on, on my back before. So I just, I don't know about getting a tattoo and then having like gigs to do and stuff. Because, because what? Because of the pain element. You know, I, I, I had this stupid idea on one of my first tours that I should get a tattoo every day of my tour, and wow. um, I got to number five. And it was the plan was to get like small ones, but then I ended up getting like one on the inside of my left arm, one on the inside of my right arm, one on my elbow, and then one on my chest somewhere. And I kind of I I was like playing at Edinburgh in the O2, like almost doing like the stance of like a mummy, because I could <laughs> I felt like I couldn't move my arms properly, and it was awful. It was awful. Well, this is it. We've got to look at the practical issues. Getting your whole back done means you are going to be sleeping on your front for like two weeks. And and the and the slaps from my child as well, you know. Oh, like, the back slaps from from Ruben, and also the fact that you're not brilliant at sleeping anyway. You've got your white noise machine. You're sleeping on your front. Your kids waking yeah. up at two. We've backtracked from that idea, I think. Well, we haven't, you know. We really have. So look, you're you're hoping to do some gigs this year. How are you feeling moving closer towards that? Having had such an absence of that for so long now. You know, are you feeling more excited over over the sort of nervous element of getting back out there again? I feel like the fucking roadrunner, but just on the spot. <laughs> I feel like I feel Love like a it. fox with no bins to rummage in. Um, <laughs> just like, yeah, it's it's I, it's always been the biggest thing about music for me is being on stage. So, and um, I have like a really tight knit kind of group of musicians that I've worked with you know since the very beginning and um we're all just like a family and love being on the road together and it's just such a laugh all the time and 
yeah, I, I really, really can't wait. We've got like three shows next month. Amazing. We're, play, we're, we're playing like three nights, like a hundred people at Jazz Cafe in Camden. Oh, beautiful. So, yeah. It's a it's lovely venue cool. as well. I think we're going to record them as well and try and put out a live album at some point. Oh, cool. how gorgeous. Well, I'm I'm so chuffed that you're able to get back out there and do it and play songs off your new album and, and have people singing back to you. It's going to be a beautiful thing. So... Good luck with with all of that. And thank you so much for talking to me today. I've, I've so enjoyed it. And, um, and hopefully I'll get to see you in the flesh soon. That's all right. Thank you. Thank you so much, Rory, a.k.a. the legend that is Rag and Bone Man, you wonderful man. His album, Life by Misadventure, is out right now. And if it's watching live music that you're really missing, I'll definitely recommend watching his recent performance at the Brits. Stunning. He performed anywhere away from here with Pink. What a combination. And they were backed by the Lewisham and Greenwich NHS Choir. So moving, so beautiful. And if you're indeed just as excited as me about live music, properly making a comeback, you'll definitely want to be here next week. I won't say any more. Actually, I will. It's really good. It's a real good one. Until then, thank you so much, Rag and Bone Man, to the producer, Anushka Tate at Rethink Audio, and, my goodness, to you lot for listening. You know what? It means so much that you listen every week. I absolutely love it, and I love you. Thank you, and I'll see you soon. (laughs) 